Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Emma Carpenter and I am back after that short hiatus. I was actually playing in my fall college golf season, but the Gophers, I might add, had a pretty solid season actually breaking the program record. So we are sitting pretty here at the end of the fall and looking forward to the spring. But I am unbelievably excited to sit down with my guest here today, who is one of the most compelling figures in the game of golf. We're talking highly acclaimed and dominant amateur and collegiate golfer turned then professional golfer, major winner, and also recent professional long drive finalist. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Bryson DeChambeau. So I am so excited to sit down with Bryson today and talk to him about his career and really what he's up to right now. And I know that you're gonna enjoy the listen. And with that, I welcome in Bryson DeChambeau. Mr. Bryson DeChambeau, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Emma. I appreciate it. This is uh, going to be fun. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining me. So what are you kind of up to right now? You're you're in the Bahamas, you're Albany, is that right? Yeah, in Albany, the Bahamas, taking a vacation. Um, it's technically Liv's first off season. So, you know, this is my first off season. I mean, I've had some, some before, but, um, you know, this is definitely a different one. And Look, I'm excited to have three months off going, going out my body, getting stronger. Just started working out really hard again past couple of days, um, trying to get my body to look a little bit more like Martin Borgmeier, <laughs> one of the long drivers, uh, the German uh, Greek god. So want to get to a strength level where I could swing it fast no matter what. I'm not trying to go crazy at it to hit it far. Um, so, you know, up in that and then honestly enjoying some family time as much as I can. Um, you know, that's going to be all a part of the plan, finishing up some projects I have, uh, in Dallas and Clovis, hopefully, and then my home, uh, it's taken three and a half years <laughs> to build, which has been crazy. Um, yeah, it's, it's been nuts. Like just everything in general in life has been crazy. And honestly, I can say I'm so blessed and so happy that, you know, to be where I'm at right now and I'm very excited for the future, um, for the future of golf as well. I mean, there's, there's so many positives that are going to come about from all this and, and, and look, it's, you know, we'll get into that obviously, but, um, you know, I'm definitely excited for what's to come. Got my friends here at Albany hanging out. Oh, well, gosh, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's certainly a long competitive year, so you've earned some time off and, and that's awesome. We're definitely going to get to all that, uh, some of the things you just mentioned, all the five clubs listeners tuning in today already know you are incredibly successful. You're a pioneer. You're a trendsetter. You're an eight time PGA tour winner. You're a major winner. And we're going to get to all that, but you know, we all have to start somewhere, right? It's a journey yep. and everyone's journey is different. So can you tell me the story of how you got started in the game of golf? My goodness. My dad introduced me when I was three, gave me a little plastic club and I started swinging away and by nine, I was starting to play a few tournament uh, tournaments in the game of golf. I love playing soccer, baseball, basketball, you name it. I played every sport um, and, and I was a bit of an athlete. I could do anything and everything. And I was always inquisitive. I questioned everything, as you could imagine. <laughs> My parents hated it, <laughs> but it's just who I was. I wanted to know and understand what life is about, what, um, you know, how everything works. And I just was interested in numerous subjects and topics and, and sports. Um, but nine, I started to play a couple of tournaments. I won my first two tournaments that I ever played. So I was like, okay, I'm pretty solid. <laughs> uh, I think I can play this sport. Um, but I also knew that I wasn't the best because after that I struggled a little bit and I had a bunch of other kids beating me at these other events in, in California. And um, yeah, it was, it was super frustrating. And that was the first time I started to experience like a lot of emotion I'll never forget my first time uh, as a junior golfer uh, playing in a tournament. I was so nervous on the first tee. I like couldn't eat breakfast. I couldn't speak. Just all of that. I was so nervous as like a 10 year, nine, nine year old. And oh. it, it just, yeah, it got to me. And, I, and that's one of the things that I struggle with is, is anxiety for a long time uh, until after college. And I got into the professional scene and I learned how to speak better. Uh, talk to people better. I had um, 
uh, issues with learning how to speak well in public situations. Uh, but over the course of time, it's like another subject matter. You just have to learn it and figure it out and figure out what keys work for you. Um, you know, and so going back to then, I was a very emotional person. And that's why I always tried to take out the emotional side of it, trying to be more robotic, more systematic, more of an analytical approach, because I wanted to take out that emotion because I knew it affected how I played. And that's what I tried to do. Ultimately, coming to this point, I realized emotions are always going to be there. You can't change that. But what I try and do is take the data analytics and, and my thought process, my my awareness of spatial reasoning and apply it to the game of golf in the best way I possibly can while adding that fuel to the fire of, OK, I want to I want to dominate. I want to go out there and play at my absolute best. Give it my all. Something that I've realized in college, for sure, when you're younger, you know, we're, we're not as emotionally mature. Um, mm. Golf is definitely a tough sport to handle. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> since I, I mean, just for me personally, up to this point, what I've realized is like all of the best golfers are really emotional because you're passionate. Yeah. Right. Yep. You can do one of the best that you can do because you care. Right. Right? Exactly. And you never give up. I mean, never. you look at Tiger, what he's done. And I mean, that was my idol growing up. Um, ben Hogan, Mo Norman. I don't know if you know that, but you know, yeah. I, I mean, look. Th then going into my teenage years, I won the Northern California. Oh well, I won the California Junior Am, uh, which was yeah. huge for me. Yeah, and after winning that, I had some college coaches finally look at me when I was like 15, 16, because I never had money to go play AJGA events. I didn't have the funds at all. I would literally go door to door asking for uh, support and money to go play in these junior golf events. Um, and that's how I started learning how to talk to people. Um, you know, it's one of the ways, right. But I had to go do it because there's no, my parents were like, well, we don't have the funds to go out and play this year. You're going to have to go figure out a way to make money to, to do it. And I didn't want to work. So I asked for like loans and, and good faith, you know, um, sort of charity work towards me. And, and there's people that were nice enough to do it. And I was lucky enough to go out there because I had sold, uh, you know, candies when I was younger to all these families and everything. And I knew them. And that's kind of how the relationship got going. I, then I asked, I was like, look, my parents are struggling. I, I want to go play these events. Is there any way that you can help me out at all? And wow. sure enough, I, I was able to get some families to help out. And we went and played. And, um, you know, it, it was definitely there were some tough times during my, my uh, high school years. But, you know, after I won the California Junior, um, then went to uh, Junior World a few times, finished second against Bo Hostler. Then SMU came into the play. Josh Berger came into the play, and he offered me a full ride. And that was the biggest school that offered me a full ride. Um, I had Oregon that offered me close to a full ride, almost a full ride. But I was like, look, you know, that coach just won a couple of NCAA championships with Augusta State, and I'm willing to take a risk to go with him. I didn't know what Texas was about. Never even – seen the campus and I committed uh to him without even seeing or taking an official visit <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah. well, what a story wow so even at a young age you had you had nerves and anxiety in sport as well yeah. as in public speaking and talking to people yep. and ha having to go door to door to yep. ask people to um to help, help support me. you in yep. your in your junior career in order to you know have the opportunity to be in front of college coaches to get mm -hmm. recruited to take yep. that and to do things like winning the the California Junior State Am I mean what a story that's so impressive and you say too yeah. that uh that's kind of how you part of what helped you get it get better at at talking with people so yeah it's amazing Definitely. you know Brayson <laughs> I'm as you know I'm a college golfer we talk a lot about college golf here on my show and as far as individual achievements in college golf you mentioned you got recruited to go play for SMU and in college golf. I mean, you've really done more than anybody. So prior to your junior year at SMU, uh, Southern Methodist University, you actually, you broke the tournament record in the world amateur team golf championships, yeah. final, 61 on the final day. You'd already yep. won in college 2014 U S Palmer cup team. And then 2015 was kind of your, your huge year. It was massive. Yep. It was the first Mustang to ever win the NCAA national individual tournament. And then mm -hmm. just two months later, you turn around and win the USAM and you won yep. seven and six in your final match. At that point, you'd already made your PGA tour debut at the FedEx. Yep. Saint Jude, and just a few weeks later, you're announced as part of the Walker cup team. I All mean, right. 
it's what you did is it just was a whirlwind whirlwind right <laughs> for sure you go from yeah i'm a pretty dang good college golfer to okay i've won the two biggest events in amateur golf pretty much you know oh yeah for any college golfer, you win the NCAAs and the U.S. Amateur the same year. I mean, only five people have done that. Five people, and right. Yeah, you know, so that was definitely unexpected. It was the only two tournaments I won that year, actually. <laughs> Funny enough. I don't know if you know that, but. You picked um, the right ones. You picked, picked the, right the right ones. ones. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, the year before that, I, I definitely felt, um, I felt my game coming into full bloom, if you want to say that. It was because I was focused on. Okay, this is kind of bad, but it is what it is. I was focused on golf more than my schooling. I was still getting good grades. Like I was like, you know, B's and C's, but I started, you know, my freshman year, I was 75% or I was 50-50 in regards to golf and school. By my sophomore year, it was 75% golf and 25% because I saw myself playing better and better each year. And I'm like, okay, let's keep adding to it each year. That was kind of like my formula in my head. Yeah. 75% golf, 25% school. And then my junior, it was like 90% golf and 10% school. I wasn't as great of a student, but I saw myself going in the right direction. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this a, a try. Let's see what I can do. And it was a lot of focus on golf and I barely partied. I, I barely did anything. I, I went and worked my butt off and it, it ultimately paid off. <laughs> and that way I went and played my first PJ tour event. That was another moment where I was super nervous. One of the most nervous moments of my entire life. I mean, rightfully so. Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. First PJ tour event at the FedEx St. Jude, which is a very difficult golf course. You got to hit it straight. Um, yeah. And look, I, I've gone through numerous problems growing up and, and, and even in college, like people don't realize I had the yips in college before I won NCAAs in the US Amateur. I really struggled with it. And so I spent one day 10 hours out on the putting green as hard as I possibly could putting with this stupid brick putter that Adele made me a long time ago. And and, uh, you know, I learned how to putt with it better. And ultimately, I became a decent putter and won the NCAAs because of it. It's just these things were I took an insane amount of hours and tried to figure something out when something wasn't going well. And I took that next step compared to when everybody would just go out and just be like, you know what? I'm okay. I'll figure it out tomorrow. I didn't accept that. I went out and I went the distance. I mean, would you say, obviously you're, you're talking about your putting, you made a change to that was ultimately helped you. I mean, come out yeah. victorious. Do you think yeah. that there's kind of a, a right way to do things? Do you think that it changes? Do you still putt the same way that you, that you did? <laughs> No, no, obviously I, I don't at all. I have yeah. so, so many times and, um, you know, I putted well for the U.S. Amateur and NCAAs, but I realized it wasn't good enough for competitive professional golf. And that's mm -hmm. when I started trying different things. I went to face on putting. I've done everything. I've tried everything. Right. And, you know, I'm okay with all the, you know, backlash and whatnot, because I want to figure it out. I want to yeah. try to understand what's going on, you know, so and I've asked, I asked so many people and everybody's like, well, I don't know, maybe. There's, there's no answers in the game of golf. Truly, yeah. there's nothing. Do you see there being like one true answer for you that you'll eventually find? And, and that's kind of the magical combination. Or do you think that no matter what, it's always going to keep changing? There's always something that allows you to be incredibly repeatable for you because you've, you've won. It, it's, it's a bit of a mix. So you found some thought processes and, and ideas that allow you to be repeatable. Um, on your own end, and then also you practice incredibly hard upon those bases, those bases. And so once you find that, that's kind of your formula, your your way to to, to play the game the way you want to, um, but in the most efficient way possible for yourself. So there is a way for you. You just got to go figure it out. Nobody's going to tell you how to do it. There's no way DJ got taught. Okay, do this. There's no way Colin got taught do this or John Rom that or Justin Thomas jump off the ground or Bubba Watson jump off the ground. There's no way they were taught that. It just inherently happened through a lot of practice and what felt good to them. Everything that you did during your time at SMU, like you said, they, they were, they were your first really, really big offer. And that's ultimately why you decided to go play there. It's a great school. I actually, yeah. I, I took a couple visits to SMU as well. It's a great place, but you really are still to this day. And I assume for a very, very long time, possibly forever are really the face of the program. Um, and Payne Stewart is too. So I got to give him credit. He's the reason why I went there as well. Um, I wore the cap uh, that was for Ben Hogan and Payne Stewart. I was a huge fanatic. I love, love them. And then as obviously, and I'll just get to the, the point of this is, is that as time has gone on and, and, you know, I'm now doing something different more, more in a team aspect. I want to look more like, 
the other guys on my team. So, you know, the Ryder Cup, I did that. I wore a normal ball cap for the Ryder Cup last year. Um, and now I'm doing that with the team stuff. And so that's the reason why I've, you know, not, I'm not wearing the, the, the cap anymore, but I still have huge respect for Payne Stewart, uh, who's a great role, role model, and Ben Hogan, who meant the world to me in my golf swing. Moving away from the cap, is, is that had to have been a, a pretty, pretty big sacrifice. Yeah, it, it was, but it also wasn't at the same time because I didn't want to be defined by that hat. I wanted to be defined by who I am as a person, you know, and so there was a big thing like I love the cap. I, I've worn it since the age of 12 for every tournament I've played in. Uh, I won my first tournament uh, wearing it. So like I, I wore it and that's when I, I, I won the first two events I played. In. It was like, OK, I got to I got to keep wearing this. It's just kind of like my um, my thing. And ultimately, it just got to a point where I didn't want to be defined by that. That's that's not who I wanted to be. And I'm, um, you know, uh, look, I'll still always have that part of me in my, my life. But sometimes people have to realize that hopefully they realize that it's more than just the cap. It's me as a person, you know, and I can make myself whoever I want to be if I work hard enough. And that's hopefully the lesson people can learn. At what point in your amateur career or your collegiate career, did you know that you were ready to start competing at the highest level? You know, did it take all of those, those big wins in 2015? Or did you know that you were destined to be a PGA Tour major winner well before all of that? I thought I had a chance if I worked hard enough, but you never really know until it happens. Um, there's plenty of golfers out there, plenty of college golfers that are the best in the world right now. And they may never make it on the PGA Tour or, or with Liv or whoever. Um, there's plenty of guys that are 50th on the wagger that may become the best player in the world. We just don't know. It's, it's one of those things that, that you've always got to take each tournament by tournament and focus on what you're doing to improve each and every time. Um, I didn't know I was going to be in this position. I I had no idea, you know, I'm 29 now and, and like looking back on it, I never would have thought I'd be in the position that I am today when I was in college, not even close. I thought I'd do, you know, a couple of cool things. Maybe I'd win a couple more majors or maybe I wouldn't win anything at all. I didn't know what it was. So it was, there was, there was never any knowledge of, Oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It was always, what can I do in this next tournament to be the best I could possibly be? And you keep adding those up over the course of time and you grow to you know where, whatever you become. Um, so did I know I was going to do what I'm doing? Not at all. No, no clue whatsoever. Um, you know, I reserve that for, for God himself to know what's going to happen in my life. But I will tell you that, you know, working every working as hard as you possibly can every single day for each event, each tournament is the most important thing you can do to make yourself better. After you won the USAM, like you said, you won the USAM and you won NCAA individual nationals in the same year. Little did you know you'd actually go on to win the US Open and be one of three people to win all three of those events, the other two being Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus. How does it feel to add your name to that short list? Well, a lot of lucky things had to happen for that to occur. So that's, that's oh. the situation occur. <laughs> But no, it's amazing, obviously. I, I relish that um, statistic and fact. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be other people that down the road that, that do it. But for now, you know, it's us three and I'm very blessed to be a part of that group. And um, hopefully I can do some more cool stuff here down the road. I, I honestly feel like my career is just beginning, um, even though there's been a lot of weird things going on. Uh, you know, I'm going to have probably close to 100 major championship uh, opportunities uh, for the rest of my career. That's what I've calculated it out to be, um, given that I'm, you know, able to, to do the things in the majors uh, moving forward. Um, so, look, I, I really believe that I have good opportunity to win a few more times. Uh, a few more majors. And, uh, you know, the other part too is like, I, I'd love to, you know, win tournaments that I've won before. However that happens, I don't know how that's going to happen with everything that's going on in the world, but I'd love to go provide entertainment on the other side as well. I mean, yeah, I'd love to do that and give give my best for them uh, as well as what we're doing over on Live. And so win a lot of Live tournaments, win some majors, and hopefully one day get back and, and play a few tournaments that I love near and dear, that are near, near and dear to my heart on the, on the PGA Tour. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you've, you've been so successful 
on the PGA tour in your professional mm -hmm. career. You got your PGA tour card and right away in 2016 yeah. when you turned pro, which is yeah. incredibly impressive. I mean, just the professional route. I got so many close friends, know so many people who have done it. It's, I mean, it's really, if it's so hard to get your PGA tour card right away. Um, yeah. Obviously, it was probably no surprise to anybody given how highly acclaimed, how dominant you were. But I mean, really, it's so impressive. Well, thank you. It was nerve wracking, though. A lot, a lot of it was very nervy. I, I couldn't sometimes I couldn't sleep at night because I'm like, man, there's so much pressure on me because I know I've won the NCAAs and the USAM in the same year. And now they want me to perform on the PGA Tour like, oh, my goodness, um, not easy at all. So, you know, I'm, I finished fourth. I don't know how I did it. I played incredible fourth at uh, RBC Heritage, my first professional start after the Masters in 2016. And then I missed every single cut after that. And then I went to the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. Um, and I won my first Corn, Tour, Corn Ferry Tour Final. It was, it was more like I was just, it was a hit or miss for me uh, starting out in professional golf. And I go to 2017 and miss 14 cuts in a row. And then win the John Deere. Then won the win the John Deere four weeks later. <laughs> so right. it, it was just like a hit or miss sort of thing. And late in 2017, I was like, okay, I got to redo everything. I got to redo everything in my golf swing. I know there's a couple baseline principles that'll stick with me, but I got to redo my golf swing, redo my putting, redo everything so that I could become a more repeatable, consistent golfer. Because I was looking at DJ and Jordan and all these unbelievable golfers, Rory, and they're just not, they don't even have to work it anywhere near as hard as me and they're way better than me. Okay. So there's something they're doing that's more repeatable and it's more efficient. So how do I do that? And that's what I figured out. And I won't go into that because some of my secrets allowed me to be up at the top, no matter what. Um, okay. For the most part. And, but th that is a, a definitely a thing that everybody has to go through to try and figure out how do I become more repeatable? So when you're talking about that and you're, you know, comparing yourself to these other players, I mean, are you, we've talked about a little bit how everything is specific to you, right? You're not, are, are you trying to emulate something? It's a mix of both. It's a mix yeah. of both. You have to look at what other players are doing. You have to take what they're doing and say, okay, can I implement any of that? And if I can't, you take what they're doing and, and see what they're doing and kind of do it in your own way. Um, whether it's the golf swing or putting, you find out what's working for them. Uh, w within their golf swing and their body, like how their body's moving or whatever. Um, and that's why I alluded to, you know, the left wrist arching and all that. Th there are things that these guys do that make themselves more repeatable. Um, that may look odd. It's not perfectly on plane. Or it's not perfectly, you know, whatever. But those are the things when I, when I highlight those things, and this is, I'm kind of giving you the hints a bit. Um, when they have these weird looking things in their golf swing, like Jim Purick, there's a reason why they continue to do that. Well, they're not changing it to get it back on plane. They do it because it's more repeatable. It's their body's way of knowing where the club head is at all times. After that kind of uh, epiphany that you had at the end of 2017, 2018, you went on and you won the Memorial, Memorial you won the Northern Trust, you won the Dell Technologies, and then 2019, the, the Shriners Children's Open, 2020, the Rocket Mortgage, U.S. Open, I mean, yep. an absolute highlight of your career. And then 2021, the Arnold Palmer invited Bay Hill. Something that you've always been kind of open to sharing and that people have really found interesting is your, your more scientific and, and sort of data-driven approach. When did you start implementing these ideas? I wasn't as good as everybody growing up. And so I tried to find distinct advantages that gave me an upper edge. And so every, at every single corner, that's literally what it was. 2011, I'm like, dang it, I've got to learn how to swing, you know, 13 or 14 clubs, even my, including my putter, and they're all different. How, how am I going to, you know, get, how, how do I practice more efficiently? And I thought to myself, well, if I could swing the same club every single time, because that's what I would do. I'd hit my eight iron or, uh, or seven iron every single day, all day long. That was my favorite club to hit. I was like, well, what if everything was just that same length? So I could practice every club while just hitting one club. And that's kind of how I thought about it. And I went and built a set and it worked. Um, and I've used it ever since. You know, that's one yeah. of the things that people don't realize. Like, <laughs> I'm playing with one length set of clubs, which are not done today at all. And a lot of people, are, you know, that use them or try them, they're like, oh my gosh, this is really awesome. This makes a lot of sense. But because most people have played variable length their whole entire lives, 
they just keep playing that. The best way to introduce somebody to the game of golf is through one length because then they don't have to change, you know, the length and the setup and all that. They don't have to change really anything. Um, so, you know, it's just, how do I explain it? It's just, it's just things that people have done over the course of history to just continue to keep doing without knowing that there's potentially a better way. Now, look, if you played very blank your whole life and you're a good golfer and all that, there's no need to change. Not at all. But if you're starting out and you want to learn how to play the game, it's, it's one of the easiest ways to play. And so at every corner, it's been, a, it's been an, an, at a necessity. I've needed to find a little something that allows me to gain an edge in that area, whether it's driving, hitting it farther, hitting my iron straighter or putting better or chipping it better, whatever it is, I've tried to gain that little strokes, uh, strokes gain potential. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the irons all being the same length, part of what makes sense is the idea of you having the exact same setup, right? You know, we're talking about repeatability, the ability to, to do the same thing over and over. So Bryson, are you telling me that it's too late for me to start using single length irons? Well, you're a great golfer already. I don't want to mess anything up you're doing. (laughs) Um, I think there's definitely some room for improvement. The one thing I will say is like the wedges are a bit unique and you got to get used to them, but I'm one of the best uh, short-sighted wedges out there, short game guys out there. It's mainly because of the length of the club. I'm able to apply a lot more speed. And so I can do things with a golf ball from short side positions that other people can't. So it's actually been a benefit. It sometimes can get tough when, you know, it's a straightforward 30 yard little pitch shot. Um, you know, it, it's not because there's not as much weight with the head. And so you don't have the same connection and compression every time. So it's a little bit more difficult on that. But if you can get around that, I mean, I, I'm willing to give that a little bit of that up to have better iron play like I do. Um, I mean, I was the best iron player in 2018, one of the best drivers in 2018. Um, you know, I just, again, going back to that distinct advantage, I found something in 2017, 2018, and I lost it. I didn't know what I did um, fully. I had a good understanding of what I was doing for most of the time. And that's why I've still won and I won a U.S. Open and all that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand it. It wasn't until two weeks ago, right before Miami, that I figured out what it was in 2017 that I was doing. It was so good. Went back to my old, old shaft. Um, you know, there's just things that I've been doing that, that, that made me super repeatable and successful. And it sucks because now I got this off season. I got to wait a whole nother year, but I'm it, Bryson? For next year. Bryson, you got to fill us in here. What, what were you doing in 2017 that, uh, doing- well, so this is going back to the repeatability stuff. I built an end range of motion system. Uh, what that means is like, I'm locking down certain things in my body. That's why I look rigid and very stiff. Um, sometimes I set up and all that, but I'm setting up alignments to the face. Um, and trying to hold those throughout the whole golf swing. Um, and that's how I gain perceptual awareness. It's like a pressure gauge. It's like uh, if I put my wrist all the way to end range in one direction, there's pressure, there's tension, right? I use that tension to know where the club is in space. Now, it doesn't slow me down. It doesn't do anything. It's just a literally like a, a, a pin bolt, right, in a, in, a, in a machine. just locks it down um, stabilizes one degree of freedom motion, uh, motion. And so when I'm, when I do that, I have got a sense of where that face is just like John Rom going here or Dustin Johnson going here. They've got pressure, massive pressure. So they know where that face is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, again, what I was alluding to is, is, is some of those end ranges of motion and, and they match it up to certain things. Um, and so for me, I'd always kept my left arm dead straight, but as I started gaining speed, even in 2018, I was starting to gain speed. I was starting to hit it farther because I was trying to get, you know, get more distance a little bit because I knew I was only like 290, 295. Uh, my left arm started to buckle and I never realized it. I haven't realized it for four years. Mm. So up the top and the speed, it would buckle and then it, it would align the, the head and face outside in. And so I'd always wipe across it when I gained oh. speed. Sometimes I'd slow it down and, and the arm would straighten and the, the head would go square, but then I'd duck hook it. And so that's right. where like all my misses came about. And that's also why I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna hit it as far as I possibly can because I know for some reason through this process at one point in time, I'm gonna figure out what broke in 2017, 2018 that made me not as good anymore. Cause I, I mean, I felt like Mo Norman <laughs> and Ben Hogan in 2018. I like could do anything and everything with a golf ball and fully control it. And I was on top of the world. It was like, I won four times and uh, two and, you know, two back to back. And I was 
even though it didn't show it, I was the number one player in the world for that specific point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it just one of those things that, that I was like, man, if I could just get back to there with that speed now that I have, you, so you can kind of see the lineage. Like I had this repeatable thing that broke down and I'm like, screw it. I'm going to hit it really far. Um, and then from that, hopefully I could understand what's going on with the, the body. And I just came to two weeks ago before um, and we played Doral and I shot five, six under against Louie. And, and we just, we played unbelievable together. And he, he uh, unfortunately got me at the end. I misaligned one of my stuff at the, on the 23rd hole and hit it left. But again, one of those things that just, that, that's golf. You, you can be the best ball striker in the world, best part in the world and still get beat. Yeah. <laughs> Always, always. Well, Brayson, I can't even imagine the sense of clarity you feel being able to really break it down uh, the way you are and just like study it and compare. That's I mean, we all do it as golfers, you know, kind of comparing maybe our swing a little bit like, oh, why was I hitting it so well before? Or why was I able to, you know, to repeat this exact ball flight each time? And I can't do that right now. But I mean, the way that you're able to really break it down. I mean, makes a lot of sense, especially well, to you. You know, people I'll, call you people call you the scientist, Bryce. Yeah. How, how does yeah, that, and, how does that make it, you it feel? It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I would be called like a professor or something like that, and the scientist. <laughs> yes, that's my, the name they've given me. <laughs> um, I will say this: Phil gave me a great uh, statement one one time, and Tiger's told me this too. You either got to be really smart in the game, or you got to be really dumb, and you just don't know anything. <laughs> And you just go play and, and you enjoy it and you have fun. Literally, those are the two things. <laughs> if you're stuck in the middle, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to be one of the best. So, so you, you obviously picked the really smart route. Yeah, but it's sometimes the not as easy route. I'll tell you that. And then vice versa, you know, the way Dustin Johnson plays. And I'm not saying that he's dumb at all. He's actually incredibly smart. You got uh, to be smart. You got to be smart to be a good golfer. You have to be. And, yeah. And the thing is, is like he plays that card really well, but he knows a lot about the golf swing. Of course, right. Um, so it's kind of a sneaky little smart uh, play that he doesn't really showcase that much. Sure, but, sure. You, know, you got to really not know too much or you got to know a lot. And that's what Phil does. That's what VJ has done. You know, Fred Couples was on the other side. Um, Tiger knew a lot. Uh, he knows a lot um, from the experiences and the time that I've been with him. Um, and the same thing with me. You know, I yeah. just went down that road. I love, I love all the shout outs that these, that these players are getting. I, oh, I'm loving I mean, it. It's, it's, it's <laughs> well-deserving, well-deserving. Now in 2020, you really, you rocked the whole golf world. You did something that no golfer had ever done before. You actually, you added as, as people know, you added 45 pounds to your frame in yeah. less than a year from late t- ni- 2019 to oh, 2020. A lot of it was fat. okay well I mean can you can you just kind of tell me about this process like clearly a decision was made to make this drastic change right why did you feel like you needed to do this and how did you kind of formulate that plan well I was trying to gain as much strength I had a guy Greg Roscoff that uh, MAT guy muscle activation techniques out of Denver and been working with him for a while I was like look I want to get really strong while still not losing any of my range of motion and sure enough that's what we did um, we trained really hard and I ate things that were not great for my system that I was very sensitive to. And ultimately it got to the point where it was a little too much. Um, and that's when I started to back off of that and, uh, uh got to the point now where I, I ate improperly for almost a year and a half and I was starting to feel weird. My system, my gut was all messed up. And so I went completely healthy, went on a whole 30 diet. And um, got a nutritionist, did blood work, um, so, you know, measured stuff in my gut biome. I was super inflamed. And then just recently, about you know, two, it's been about two and a half months now, I've been using this chef. Uh, I lost 20 pounds in a month. Um, I had Jeez. such huge mood swings oh uh, from it. It was not good, but all the inflammation has just left my system and I feel a lot more at ease. I mean, I'm a lot leaner now and, you know, I, I feel better. Uh, my face is thinned out. Finally, I look, <laughs> I look like I'm 20 again, not 35. So, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <Happy about that. laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's been a 
for me, I always go to the extremes. I, I start out with going to each side and then from there, I best fit, I best fit what works for me. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a decent way to live life. It can be a tough, tough one at times because it's such huge swings. But if you don't know one side of the coin or to the other, I mean, how can you ever figure out what works best for you? And that's kind of what I, what I did with my life, what I've done with my life so far. Absolutely. So I take it that that kind of that approach that you took to uh, to put on a lot of weight in order to yeah. ball further. Um, that's something that you wouldn't recommend to no. other golfers. No, I mean, get stronger, but in a healthy way. Go get, you know, a sensitive a blood sensitivity test and figure out what works best for your body to gain size and strength. Um, but work out like the way I worked out was was good. I worked out really well. I had the best trainer for that. Um, I had the best um, teacher for that as well, if you want to say. So that's great. I did that great. I didn't eat well. That's the piece I was missing. And that's the piece I'm implementing for this offseason. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously you decided that it was really important that you would have an advantage over everybody if you could hit the ball further than everybody, right? You know, why did you kind of... Like when did Why you do that? notice that? Yeah. When did you make that? Well, decision? Mark Brody, I was talking with Chris Como. Mark Brody had a statistic uh, out that was, if you could hit it, was it three yards further, you could be six more yards offline mm. and still have the same strokes gain potential. And I was like, man, I can hit it three yards further and still hit it inside that six yards. Sure. Or try that. And I, again, going to the full length, you know, the extreme of it, right. That's, that's kind of how, how I started my process of getting stronger and hitting it farther. And then also looking at Kyle Berkshire and seeing he's got 220 mile an hour ball speed. I'm like, I'm at 175. If I get to like 190, that'd be great, please. <laughs> uh, and so that's what I did. That's what I did. And it ultimately helped out a lot. And it's helped me out in so many situations. I'll tell you, I played terrible golf, terrible golf this year last year after Arnold Palmer. I mean, you know, I played well at Arnold Palmer, but even before Arnold Palmer, um, I, I have not, I played like my C game. The only reason why I'm still a top 50 player, given that the rankings are, are correct and, and not that I haven't played. Okay. And either way, being, sure. a yeah, no, I follow long, being a top 50 player for that long wouldn't have been possible had I not had the length based on the way I was playing. Cause I get it iron off the tee where people hit and driver hit in the fairway right. with an iron. And anyway, the length has tremendously helped. I wouldn't have been able to come back from my injury, my, my hand injury. If um, I didn't have the length, you know, I would have been starting out at 150 ball speed, 160 ball speed around that area. I was starting at 175 ball speed. And then I got it up to back up to 190 within, you know, four weeks. Yeah. In addition to this huge physical transformation that you went through. Um, you've tried, like we've talked about, you've tried a lot of different things over the last six years. A lot of things have changed. Is there anything that you've done that was, you know, less effective than, than you thought it would be, I guess, other than, you know, putting on all that weight, uh, you know, we've talked about, you've tried different putting strokes, different face on putting (laughs) Yeah, things as well as I thought it would have, but that's the one I would tell you based on puttings that didn't work out that well. <laughs> um, and, and, eat, and, and gaining a lot of weight, gaining a lot of weight isn't necessarily the best thing for a body. Sure. Is there anything that you haven't tried yet that you do plan on trying? Well, eating healthy while trying to gain strength. That's what I'm doing yeah. this off season. That's what I'm excited about. Um, and then just helping out Cobra with their R and D team with, with the new technologies and the driver. Um, building a more aerodynamic head that makes it go faster. So, you know, the guys that are swinging faster will even go faster. Um, so th- those are the things I'm really excited about in the future. And, and then also spending a lot more time with my family. Like that's, that's a huge thing for me now. Just, yeah. uh, just a few weeks ago, you competed in the professional long drive, uh, championships yeah. you made it all the way to the finals. Um, <laughs> I mean, that had to have been an absolute blast, but also Amazing. the biggest part of conversation in, in golf, in the world of golf, this calendar year has been something that, you know, I've gotten a chance to discuss here on five clubs. Like I said, I talk a lot about college golf and I've had on uh, uh, Eugenio Chikara, James Pyatt, yeah. 
who are both now playing alongside you on the lift tour. And I just yeah. want to dig into real quick what it's kind of been like for you so far. You've played six, six events. What mm-hmm. for you has been the coolest moment so far? The team aspect. And I think the camaraderie between the players is a lot different. We all see ourselves um, as not, look, we're competing at the, high, at, at the highest level that we can relative to the field that we have. And we're competing like, and we're fighting like never before. Um, but we all realize, you know, what's happening in the world right now in the game of golf. And we respect each other on that level because we've made this crazy decision. <laughs> you know, people would call it crazy, obviously, but for us, it made total sense. Um, we're all happy. We're all enjoying this new opportunity, this new format. Uh, the team aspect is, is such a unique uh, thing. I mean, I've played, you're in college, right? So you're on a team. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. cool is it to rely on a team every once in a while when stuff's sure. not going well in a day, right? Well, how, you know, how would you compare the, t- the team piece of it to anything that you've done before? You know, you've, you've been a part of a Ryder Cup team, a President's Cup team, you know, even a college team. How would you say that feeling compares? It's very much like a college golf event, um, but obviously elevated with fans and there's just obviously in the professional side of it. But uh, to a Ryder Cup, it's different because there's 12 guys. I mean, you know, we, we've got four guys on a team out here and uh, President's Cup. It's, it's, a, it's a miniature version of that. And it's each week, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the way I would liken it to. It's, it's more of a miniature version of a Ryder Cup President's Cup, but it's done every single week that we play. I think that's kind of cool and it feels like a, a bit of a college golf event, but uh, in an elevated way, um, the stakes are a lot higher. I'll tell you that. It, it is different, you know, when you get a team relying on you and counting on you and uh, it makes Ooh, the pressure. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. When I, when I lost to Louis, it was demoralizing to me because I let, you know, their families were there with them down the first fairway and I'm looking at their families with my, my teammates. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just lost. And you know, like, how does, how do I feel as a captain? And oh. it's, it's, it's brutal. I'll tell you, it's brutal. It's, you know, I haven't experienced, you know, being the, the, the losing person for a Ryder cup team or a residence cup team, but you know, there's definitely some similarities to that. Um, what they are, I don't fully know, but um, it, it was not fun. And so it's a feeling I don't ever want to have. And it's motivating me for next year. Um, but I'll tell you that the nice part about all of this, whether you, you're you on one side or the other, it's going to provide a lot of opportunity for college golfers. And that's what I'm I'm excited about. Um, I hope people can, can realize that and see that uh, there's massive opportunity in the game of golf uh, for everybody to make a great financial future. Um, and again, it's just there's so many opportunities. The international series going and playing internationally, um, you know, those purses are going, getting increased. Whether you play in the Corn Ferry Tour, PGA Tour, doesn't matter. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to play and grow your game, which is awesome. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting that, that you say that, that you mentioned that to, uh, about um, the opportunities for for perhaps college golfers, you know, like yep. Eugenio and James, the, the opportunity yep. that they took with Liv. So yep. in your opinion, what do you think is kind of the big, the biggest uh, strategy for, for the Live tour? Do you think it's, it's, you know, getting players who are longtime successful professional golfers or, you know, the amateurs who are up and coming, doing a lot in the game, showing a lot of promise? I would say the most important thing is that they just keep showing um, their model. Uh, the team format, the franchise model. Over the course of time, people will see and start to love certain teams, get attached to them, um, and, and fight for them, just like the NFL, NBA, NHL, you mm-hmm. name it. It's going to take time, though. I understand people don't have an affection for it right now, and the way it's presented, uh, there is a reason for that, and I won't go into that because of my position legally. Um you know, but it'll all figure itself out. In the end, look, I've always said this, uh, and I heard this about a month ago, whenever there's disruption in anything in life, there's always a net positive in the end. Humans have always progressed, not regressed. Uh, there have been times where there's minor, been minor regressions, mm-hmm. but in the end, over the course of time, whenever there's disruption that comes about, the world progresses. Mm-hmm. And I hope people can see that and see through all of this minutia. Uh, and, and just minor stuff that's going on right now. 
because uh, when you look at the game 10 years from now, I think this game will be stronger than ever. You know, you did, you made the decision to join this live tour, but it was also after some really, really successful moments on the PGA tour. Like, like we've talked about, I mean, you won Jack's tournament, you won Arnold Palmer's tournament, talking about yeah. referring to the Memorial and at Bay Hill. And this is in addition to six other PGA tour wins, including yep. a U.S. Open. Could yep. you really, could you imagine your career without these monumental moments? No, obviously not. Uh, I mean, they're, the foundations of my career, but the other, you know, live, live golf was never an opportunity when, um, these events were going on, you know? Um, and so I have personally thank, and I have before the PGA tour for everything they've provided me and, um, you know, tiger for what he's done. If tiger doesn't do what he does in the game of golf, the game of golf doesn't grow the way it is. And it doesn't become uh, as visible to the people that are now running live golf. Yeah. Um, so I have all of them to thank. And, you know, that's that's the funny thing about it is that, you know, in life, things don't always happen the way you want them to. You're not always going to get your way. Mm -hmm. And I think people have to realize that, you know what, that's OK. People make decisions based on not just, you know, legacy and whatnot, although you can create your legacy wherever you want. Um, they make it based on their family and, you know. Uh, I've gone through life, my whole life, playing professional golf or playing golf. And, um, you know, there, there's more to life than golf as well. But if you're a college golfer and you're aspiring to be a professional, your life is, college, is, is golf, um, you know, for a little while. But obviously you're still you're still very passionate about the PGA Tour and about all the yeah. things it's done for you. And, Absolutely. and players right now, you know. You so you were one of the eleven names that was on a lawsuit um, filed against the PGA Tour for the suspension. Um, now yeah. you're still one of the last names uh, still on yeah. the lawsuit. Do you, Bryson? Would you like to keep playing on the PGA Tour? Oh yeah, at some at some point that will happen. Um, yeah. I, I believe personally, but you know, the reason why I'm still in it is because, and I'll just say it here. I mean, I've said it on Sports Center as well. Uh, they haven't paid me the rest of my PIP money that I um, earned last year. I was fifth on the list, and it was three million. And the one seven five, uh, half of it, um, you know, you have to complete two obligations, which is playing a PGA Tour event that you haven't played in, in four years, which is the Valero. Played in the Valero, and then the other is completing a. Um, uh, it, it was a junior. It was a junior golf thing. It was an outing, um, first tee of Dallas event. And that was scheduled in November. And this was done literally last year. Um, and so there was no opportunity to change it. They didn't want me to change it all. And they said, because you're not a good standing, you know, you can't, you can't complete that. And we're not going to pay you because of that. Um, it's already escrowed. Most likely it's already watermarked. It's already, you know, but they just won't do it. And so for me, I'm like, look, the, it's not about the money. <laughs> the money is, is not the point for me at all. It's principle. I've given you guys my, body for last year and i provided entertainment all the way through it i completed your full year you know i finished on the fedex cup i played a, uh, another event and now you're not allowing me to play or to finish out an obligation because of you know just you know where i'm at with with you guys you, you suspended me you banned me you suspended me suspended me told me i couldn't play and, and complete all my obligations to be a pga tour member even though i'm qualified and exempt till 2026 or whatever 2027 Okay, whatever. That's your decision. I didn't make that choice. You know, I made the choice to go over play live, but I'm an IC. I'm an independent contractor. So anyway, whatever it is, what it is. So for me, it's not about the money. I have pledged to give it to junior golfers, um, to junior golf foundations, uh, whether it's in Texas and and in uh, California where I grew up, junior golf of Northern California, uh, JGA and C. Um, you know, I want that money to go somewhere good if it's not going to go to me, uh, let it go somewhere else in a good way. And if it's going to come to me, I'm still going to pledge it to junior golf. Um, you know, and, and so that's kind of my position as of right now. And it's frustrating that they aren't complying with it. They don't even want to do anything with it. it kind of shows where they're at. Do you see the future being that these two tours are coexisting? They're going to have to. 
like I said, I'm, I'm very, very happy for you and in, uh, in the decision that, that you've made and, and that you're happy. And it's exciting that, that you've got some, some time off right now to, to relax and get to working on the iron game like we've talked about. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bryson, I want to wrap things up now. I, I do a quick uh, five clubs, five questions to wrap up yeah. each episode. So number one, if you could only use one exercise machine, what would it be? Uh, it'd be probably the pec deck. <laughs> the pec deck. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, who has been your favorite professional golfer to play with? Uh, Tiger. Now you talked a lot about, um, the nerves that you felt throughout your career, right? I mean, I experienced this a lot. I swear I'm like the queen of getting so nervous before golf tournaments. I like can't even remember the first tee shot. I'm that nervous. <laughs> what, what do you do to calm your nerves before each event? Breathe. Got to breathe properly. Six seconds in, six seconds out. Love it. I'm going to do, do that next time. <laughs> okay, so... What is um, your favorite food? That's like a guilty pleasure for you. Uh, brownies, Ghirardelli double chocolate brownies. Oh, the Ghirardelli double chocolate brownies. Yeah. My brother used to used to make those and then just eat the batter. Yep. <laughs> make the I eat a lot of the batter too. <laughs> it's the best batter, honestly. So That's what I got to back to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, last question. What do you think that the maximum drive is that a human being could hit? Well, the limits on a driver, like, I think it's like 260 mile an hour ball speed off the face before it breaks. Okay. So it'd be about that. We're getting close. We're getting okay. close. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> you're getting close to like. Kyle is. He's at 236 <laughs> ball speed. So, so once you start getting the ball to come off around 255, 260 miles an hour, that thing starts to crack immediately. We're already going through them in like 30 drives. <laughs> so are you going to need to start carrying multiple drivers in the bag? Yeah. Just like each time I got to even get, I got to get to 230 or 225. I've never gotten to 225 yet. So I got a long ways to go before I even get close to 260, but that'd be fun one day. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, you're getting close. Yeah. <laughs> All definitely. Right. Bonus question. I'm breaking the rules here a little bit. Sixth question. Who is your favorite college golf podcaster? You. There you yes. Go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. I'm honored. Bryson, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> that's funny. Nice. All, right. All right. Well, Bryson, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get back to, to your vacation to, to your work here. Thank you so much for joining me today on Five Clubs. It's been an absolute blast chatting with you. I've been a really big fan for a long time. Um wish you the best of luck. Really look forward Thanks. to watching you. You too as well. Good luck. Uh this year and uh what else what else you got going on um well i'm also in my off season right now too okay um so yeah so we start so back the season ended well the fall season ended. fall season has ended yeah, yeah. and then yeah. uh start back up in the spring i'm actually going to i'm going to albany i'm going to the bahamas right where you oh, are nice. for, for auburn's home event in february so oh cool that'll be fun it's a great golf course it's a lot of fun good test make sure short game's good <laughs> okay short game Got, Practice got it. short game. Yes. Practice short game. And you know, it doesn't help because we're actually in an indoor facility. Um, oh, in Minnesota, no. So go um, to the end of the grain uh, AstroTurf. Practice a lot on that. Got it. Okay. Will do. Noted. All right. Sounds good. Right. Great Thanks talking so much, to you. Bryson. Yeah, Thank you. Too. Take care. Thank you so much, Bryson DeChambeau, for joining me today on Five Clubs. We wish Bryson the best of luck throughout the rest of his career and expect to see a lot more success along the way. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in with me here today on Five Clubs. <laughs>